Good evening. Our scripture this evening would, will be Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. Luke 9, 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took him with Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Good evening. I'm so glad to be here. It's been a while since I've been able to preach for you all, and I always look forward to the opportunity to be able to talk to you all, uh, and it's, it's good to be here. The Transfiguration is one of my favorite Bible stories, and it's really a very important event in the life of Jesus. If you were going to tell the story of Jesus Christ, you probably wouldn't leave this event out. It's so important that three of the synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all put it in their gospel accounts. And it seems to be very important to them, and they always place it correctly chronologically as well, right after Peter's confession. In Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1, if you'll turn there with me, Matthew's account of the transfiguration is very similar to Luke's, which was just read for us. Uh, shortly after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John all up onto a mountain, his inner circle. And while they're up on the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. His face shines like, like light, his clothes become a radiant white, and Moses and Elijah appear there to talk with him. While they're talking, Peter speaks up and he says, this, it's good that Moses and Elijah are here, let me build three tents for you all. Uh, in Mark's account of this event, he specifies in Mark 9, verse 6, that Peter says this because he's terrified and has no idea what to say. Uh, Peter just doesn't really know what to think of this all and kind of blurts this out. Then God speaks, and he makes the following statement that can be compiled from all three accounts, which is, This is my beloved Son, my chosen one, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. After he says this, the disciples fall down on their faces, and by the time they look up, they look on Jesus alone. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 8, And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. In Matthew's account, it's emphatic that Jesus is standing there by himself. And this entire miracle is, fo is designed to help us focus on Jesus alone. Jesus is the whole point. And there are a couple of things that, that make us notice him. First of all, he shines like light. If something's lit up and it's shining, it's pretty easy for that to be the thing that you're looking at, that for that to be the thing that you're focused on. Also, God only speaks personally three times in the New Testament. 
He speaks once in John 12. He speaks at Jesus' baptism, and he speaks at the transfiguration. So the statement that God makes here is unique. This doesn't happen often, and it only happens at key moments. And when God speaks, I think we all understand very well that it's time to listen. God's statement is important, and it points us to Jesus. Now, like I said, the transfiguration is a very important miracle. And then on the way down from the mountain, Jesus tells his disciples, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. If this is such an important miracle, it wouldn't really make sense for Jesus to say, keep this one to yourself for a while. But it actually does. And there are three reasons that we can consider this a good idea, a sensible thing. First of all, God wants his people to come to him by faith. If every single person just had God appear to them in their living room and reveal himself to them and command them to follow him, it would probably be a pretty easy decision and not really one made by faith to do what it is that he says. Instead, God wants people to seek and find him. So Jesus' revelation of himself to Peter and James and John, his inner circle, is to faithful people who, after Peter's confession, certainly understand that he is the Christ. And that's part of the reason for this secret. Additionally, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 16 through 21, it says that Jesus keeping some of these signs a secret is uh, a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 42, in which he's not calling attention to himself because he's not in it for personal glory. Jesus didn't come to the earth to glorify himself, to be this like celebrity doctor that performs all these miracles and everybody's so happy that he's coming to your town. Jesus came to the earth with a purpose and with a goal, and he was focused on accomplishing that goal and not just getting personal glory while he was at it. The whole point of the transfiguration is to show you how important Jesus is. And in accordance with Jesus' instructions to his disciples, Peter keeps this to himself until he writes 2 Peter later, some 30 years later. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 16, if you would turn there next. 2 Peter 1 verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he revealed honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts." Peter thinks that this transfiguration event is so important that he draws attention to it some 30-odd years later when he's writing the, book, the second epistle, the second book of 2 Peter. And he makes the statement about the utterance from God. And the utterance from God, as you can see up here on, this, on the screen, in fullness, is supposed to help make the prophetic word more sure. I said it's already very clear that we should pay attention when God speaks. But when God spoke at the transfiguration, he was drawing attention to three prophetic identities of Jesus Christ. God is making the prophetic word more sure, helping us understand that Jesus is the person that was prophesied about throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament for thousands of years leading up to his life. And those are the three identities that we're going to be looking at today. All of this in the transfiguration is to point us to Jesus alone. When the disciples look up, they saw Jesus alone. 
Jesus alone is the one that holds these prophetic identities. Jesus alone is the Son of God. And Jesus alone is the one that we need to be paying attention to. And that's what all of this is going to be showing us today. So the first prophetic identity that we need to be looking at comes from the beginning of God's statement. This is my beloved Son. Now, if you would turn with me to Psalm chapter 2, we'll spend a couple of minutes there. This is my beloved Son. In Psalm chapter 2, we have an enthronement psalm, a psalm that talks about royalty before God. A royal psalm would be the the genre that you could categorize it by. And starting in verse 6 of Psalm chapter 2, it reads, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The statement that's made in Psalm 2 and the statement that God makes at the transfiguration are clearly connected. God is drawing our attention to this specific telling of who Jesus is that occurs in the Old Testament. And by drawing our focus to this part of who Jesus is, we see Jesus is the anointed king. Christ is king. And the narrative of Psalm 2 kind of helps us understand specifically what the context of this point is. What God is trying to say is that the king of Psalm 2 is Jesus. So in order to understand what kind of king Jesus is, we have to understand Psalm 2. So the narrative of the psalm goes as follows. In verses 1... Or starting in verse 1, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. These rulers and kings and peoples of the earth are all coming together and they've decided that they're going to free themselves from the bonds that have been placed on them by God and his anointed and they're going to rise up and fight against him. And then God's response to this comes starting in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them, and he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king. I never want to be on the receiving end of the scoffing of God. I never want to find myself being laughed at by God when I didn't tell a funny joke beforehand. I don't want to be the kind of person that God is putting himself against. And what we're seeing here is that when people stood up against God and rebelled against him, his response in his fury was to establish a king, King Jesus. Christ is king is God's response to the sin and rebellion of man. And then if we look down in verse 8, God says to the king, Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Verse 9, You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Jesus is king, and Jesus is king to the end of being able to destroy the enemies of God. Jesus is king as the executor of God's righteous fury against those who stand against him. And looking at verse 10, It says, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Christ is king and Jesus is the executor of God's justice. Jesus is the king set in God's fury, but Jesus is also the king in which that we can take refuge. 
If Jesus is the king and he's going to be the victorious king, then he needs to be our king. We have to recognize Jesus alone as our king. And that's what God's saying at the Mount of Transfiguration when he says, this is my beloved son. Now, if Christ needs to be our king and we need to revere Jesus as king so that we can take refuge in him, then what does that mean that he needs to be for us? Well, he needs to be the person that reigns and rules in our life. Nobody reigns over my life except for Jesus. There's no government that reigns over me. There's no person that reigns over me. There's no philosophy or ideology that reigns over me. And even I don't reign over myself. If somebody tells me that I have to curse the name of Jesus or I'm going to die, then in a heartbeat I should be able to choose to die because Jesus is my king. And if he's really the one that reigns over my life, then there's nothing that's going to come between me and doing what he would want me to do. In the same way, if Jesus rules over my life, if there's something that I want to do, if there's some sin that I would like to partake in, that doesn't really matter because I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. We have to live like Jesus is the one that rules in our lives. Jesus is the anointed king, appointed by God, and that means that we need to treat him like the king of our lives, the king that rules over us. And if we are rebellious and we say that we don't want to be under the bonds that have been placed for us by God and we instead want to live on our own rules and by our own terms, then we're not recognizing Christ as our king and we're standing on the wrong side of this issue. Nobody will stand but Jesus alone, so stand with him. Judgment is coming and we should side with Christ and nobody can oppose Jesus and win. Jesus is king and he needs to be the king of our lives. God makes this point by alluding to this prophecy to draw attention to the fact that Jesus is the anointed king that the Jews have been looking for. The Mount of Transfiguration tells us that we need to be focusing on Jesus alone. And focusing on Jesus alone directs us to recognize that Jesus is the anointed king of God. Now, further in God's statement, he says, This is my chosen one with whom I am well pleased. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. In Isaiah 42, starting in verse 1, it reads, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus is the chosen servant of God. Just like Jesus is the king that God appointed, as we saw in Psalm 2, Jesus is also the servant that we see in the book of Isaiah. Jesus as the chosen servant is a, is a different identity, a different part of who Jesus is as a person, who he is as a whole. Jesus is God's chosen servant, chosen to bring forth justice to the nations, and we see in Isaiah 42, verse 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Jesus is here to free us from sin. Jesus is here to free us from suffering. Jesus is here to free us from death, from spiritual death, and to heal us and to make things right that have been made wrong by the errors in our lives. Jesus is also a covenant to mankind and a light to the nations. Verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the nations. Jesus, as the chosen servant of God, represents the very thing that we need to mend the broken relationship between man and God by sin. 
Without Jesus as the servant of God, there's no way that we can have a right relationship with him. There's nobody that's going to be able to bridge the gap between the two of us. And there's nobody that's able to do what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus is the greatest servant that ever lived. And we understand that fully if we look at Isaiah chapter 53, if you would turn there with me. In Isaiah 53, which we're probably all relatively familiar with, we read about the suffering servant. In verse 4, the servant, surely our griefs himself, he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Jesus came and suffered as the chosen servant of God, as the chosen servant to suffer for the sins of man so that we could all have our sins taken away. Jesus suffered for our sins as a servant. He did this willingly. He came to earth to accomplish this. It was prophesied that this was who he was going to be. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, before Jesus even went and accomplished this, God draws attention to the fact that this is who Jesus is and this is what he's going to have to do. Jesus is the greatest servant that ever lived. There's nobody that can outserve Jesus. I'm sure every single person here can think of a great servant that you know in your life, somebody that's done a great deal to help you, a great public servant, somebody that's done a great deal to help the world, but nobody can even hold a candle to the amount of service that Jesus Christ did for all of mankind. Jesus was a better servant than anybody else. And there's no way that we're ever going to be able to outdo his service. And that's why Jesus alone is the chosen servant of God. Nobody can help us like Jesus can. Nobody died for us like Jesus did. And nobody can save our souls like Jesus did. Jesus is the greatest servant. And if we just look at Jesus as this, this king, the executor of God's wrath, then we're not getting a full picture. And that full picture is the one that God is trying to draw at the Mount of Transfiguration. The prophetic word made more sure through the utterance that God made on the Mount of Transfiguration drew attention to this identity of Jesus as well. It also, finally, God made the statement, Listen to him. This is my beloved son, my chosen servant, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God also drew attention to a prophecy made all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 15, if you would turn there. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses is preaching the sermons of Deuteronomy, and he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Moses prophesied that there would be a prophet, a great prophet like Moses, because Moses was a great prophet for the people of Israel, that would rise up and they would have to listen to him. God draws attention to Jesus in the same way and says that this is the man that we need to listen to. Jesus is the great prophet of God. And a prophet is somebody who speaks on behalf of another. Aaron spoke for Moses because Moses said that he was slow of speech. Moses spoke for God. And in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 18, it reads, This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. 
The Lord said, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. The people of God at the time of Moses saw the works at Mount Sinai. They saw the great fire. They were terrified at the voice of God, and they cried out, and they said, Please don't make us listen to God. He's so scary. We're going to die. And God said, That's true. You've spoken well. I will send you a prophet. And when he gets here, you need to listen to him. So when Jesus gets here, and he did, they needed to listen to him. And that's exactly what God says here. Jesus alone is the one that we need to be listening to. Jesus alone is the great prophet like Moses. Jesus alone is the one that needs to have our full attention. Nobody else is the great prophet, and nobody else needs to be listened to like Jesus. God says by Moses that Jesus must be listened to in Deuteronomy 18.19. Peter says that he must be listened to when he references Jesus as the prophet like Moses in Acts 3, verse 23. And Peter writes that we do well to pay attention to him in 2 Peter 1.19. There is nobody else that we need to hear like we need to hear Jesus. The word of God is the most important thing that we can be listening to, and there's nobody else that we need to hear. John very aptly said this morning that there's no self-help guru, there's no philosopher, there's no teacher, there's nothing else that we can hear that's ever going to hold a candle to how important it is that we hear Jesus. Because Jesus alone is the prophet that we need to hear. Jesus alone is the one that we need to listen to. And that's what God is saying. We must listen to Jesus and we must hear the word of God. If our attention throughout the week is often full of things that are not Jesus, we're really good at focusing on pretty much anything else. We're distracting ourselves with social media, we're distracting ourselves with TV, with books, with people in our lives, with listening to good advice that we know from wise people. That's all fine, but none of that should ever eclipse how much we need to listen to Jesus. And none of that is ever going to be as useful to us as listening to Jesus, and none of that is going to be anywhere near as helpful as listening to Jesus, the great prophet of God. Jesus is the one that we need to hear. God's statement indicates that Jesus alone is the person that we need to focus on. The whole transfiguration revolves around him, and it all revolves around Jesus as the anointed king of God, the ruler of our lives, the person that reigns in my life and in yours. It focuses on him as the chosen servant, the only person who can save us from our sins, the only person who was willing to do everything that he did for us, everything that we needed. And it focuses on Jesus as the great prophet, the one that we need to hear, the word of God sent down for us to listen to. Jesus is the object of the transfiguration. He's supremely important. Christ is king, and there's nothing else that we can focus on like him, and he alone is the one that we need. Jesus alone has all these great prophetic identities, and Jesus alone has the credentials to do what he did, and Jesus alone has the power to save us all. Maybe in your life you haven't been living like Jesus is king for you. He hasn't been reigning and ruling, and you haven't been obedient. Maybe in your life you haven't been living like Jesus is the chosen servant and you haven't accepted the sacrifice that he made and been washed clean of your sins. Maybe in your life you haven't been listening to Jesus and you need to hear more. 
Whatever your need may be, please come while together we stand and while we sing. Sudden call, what we'll hear do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Neutral you cannot be. Someday you'll 